Hey there! We're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz sitting on my patio thinking, isn't it nice to have awesome spring sports teams, Scousebo? <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, uh, great, great weekend for Northwestern spring sports. Um, you know, we had softball getting it done in the Evanston Regional, uh, going down to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama in the Super Regional. We'll talk about them in just a second. But, uh, you know, lacrosse, Final Four, uh, knocking off Loyola, Maryland. Uh, you know, in pretty much in, you know, 16 to six, it was, you know, it wasn't much, it wasn't much of a game. Um, cats just got it done, taking care of business and then heading down to Cary, North Carolina, um, where they will be taking on Denver, uh, Denver upsetting North Carolina five to four in, uh, in the quarterfinals there. So, uh, it's pretty much chalk, uh, except for that one upset, but you know, number one, Northwestern, number five, Denver. And on the other side, number two, Syracuse, number three, Boston college, uh, two teams we've seen already, but, uh, yeah, I mean, let's, let's get into, uh, get into this final four here a little bit. I mean, we should, we should hit the, the cats performance this past Thursday yeah, a little bit absolutely. against, uh, Loyola, Maryland. I mean, I think, you know, we talked to Noah Kaufman on the podcast last week. I think one of the most important things Noah talked about was the way in which Michigan, challenged Northwestern, held Northwestern in check, forced them to take long shots, um, slowed down the game, reduced the number of possessions. And as a result, there was a very, very tight, you know, round of, um, is that a round of 16 game, I guess? Uh, Noah also talked about how difficult it is for teams to do that. That's, that's a really hard thing to do. And Loyola Maryland was not able to do that. And Izzy Skane, absolutely took over that game is interesting because afterwards she talked about how during the Michigan game, she felt like she should be doing more and it really energized and motivated her to come out and just blister. Yeah. <laughs> Loyola, Maryland. Yeah. yeah. To say the least, Loyola scored six goals. Izzy Skane scored or assisted on 10 goals. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was. And one of the things too, that Noah really drilled down on last week too is, and I don't think I don't think it's a situation that everyone paid short shrift to it. It just reinforces how hard it was to play Michigan three times this season. Yeah. And yeah. that that really was a a non-traditional thing and it really did lead to this like rock fight in the third game and Michigan, you know, as Noah took us through like Michigan making all these adjustments that were very tailored to an extreme level of familiarity with Northwestern. And with that said, I mean, still, I mean, there there was definitely part of you, right, that's going, all right, well, this was really close, and Loyola does only have two losses on the season, and, I mean, Lord have mercy. This one was over. Uh, I mean, it felt like it was over immediately. By the time everyone was checking in and, and locking in on the game, Northwestern was up by a couple of goals. They never looked back. It was 10-3 at the half. <clears throat> it was, I mean, it was an evisceration. And, right, to Scuzz's point, I mean, Skane absolutely led the way and it was it was still though it was the team effort I mean I guess you know Radigan her numbers over you know the Michigan game and this game have been a little bit down from what we've been used to but I mean that seems like I mean that's these are small issues I mean overall what you saw was 
this team absolutely assert its dominance with all of the players you're used to seeing assert dominance. Koykendall had an awesome game. L. Hansen had an awesome game. Um, and, uh, you know, it is, it's interesting too, I think, and again, with where we're going to be going a little bit, the idea of Loyola Maryland being a smaller, you know, a, a, te- a, a smaller team that had played really well all season long. Because we talked about last week, for example, Mercer, where Haley Radigan transferred from, that they had blistered goals in their conference with their schedule all season long. And as soon as they got to the the heat of the NCAA tournament, they just folded. And I think there was a little piece of that wondering, well, what really are we looking at here with the number nine team in the country with only two losses, but that hasn't played that heavy of competition? Uh, and what we saw was just a, a total talent disparity, and the cats just rolled. And I think now what we're going to see is how do those same kind of rules apply to a Denver team that I don't think anyone saw really upsetting North Carolina, um, but suddenly is a team sitting there undefeated um, with what now looks like a really good resume um, but that that played way out west, and and you know again we're we're gonna try to calibrate and see what that means is exactly. But before we get too into Denver, I just I want to hit on this is if like not counting 2020 during which the season did not actually occur. This is the fourth straight Final Four appearance for Northwestern, which I think I think it's lost in the fact you know we got so spoiled by those those consecutive championship years um, and. Then, you know, a team that got knocked out in the quarterfinal, knocked out in the second round, knocked out in the second round, knocked out in the quarterfinal during the, the 15 to 16 um, years. But, you know, so it's been a while since since the Cats have notched a championship, 10 years, in fact. But four straight Final Fours is nothing to sneeze at. And I just think it's worth celebrating. The This team has really returned to the level that they were at in the, you know, the first era, if you will, of the Kelly Monty Hiller regime. Yeah. And bringing the every bit of the heat offensively. I mean, 38 shots in this game. I mean, it's funny. We talked about that one of the differences against Michigan in, in the third game was the fact that the defense was so good and Michigan turned it over so well, so many times. And, and that was allow, what allowed this team to kind of still get through. But then it was like at Loyola, you just saw it. It's like the battle station that we all know. Um and the other thing too, and because this will fold into something that we talk about later with softball, it's just the the last game of the season at Martin Stadium being a playoff game that Northwestern won mm-hmm. for the second year in a row. And again, like we're gonna roll that right into um, you know what we've seen at the J the past two years because it's basically the same kind of thing. But it's like these two just palaces of college sport hosting you know the highest level of event that they can host really um and and seeing cat wins it's interesting the like so like talking about the denver piece of this right because i think there was kind of an unspoken thing the whole time we were talking with noah that like north carolina's waiting down the road right i mean noah took us all yep. through his experiences watching those two ta- two teams play earlier we're all familiar with just like the horrible way that the matchup between those two teams ended last year. And I think we all had our eyes on that. And instead 
here comes Denver. And well, and just like I think Noah's point was North Carolina has got the offensive prowess to keep up with Northwestern. And if, if you know, if not like the singular player, right, um, as they have had, you know, many times in the past, but then also has the the coaching staff and the approach to the game, the ability to adjust and the and the defense to to legitimately try to stymie Northwestern's offense. And now, yeah, Denver is a, I don't want to say a total wild card, because I think you can look at their resume, and and especially that game against North Carolina is going to be indicative of how they're going to play Northwestern. But um, it is it is much more up, not that the game is up for grabs, but, but the perspective on like how these teams are going to meet each other in real life is much more up for grabs now. Sure. I think there, in, in my mind, looking at Denver, there is a way in which kind of in a way that Northwestern fans can appreciate Denver is like Northwestern. And then there's another piece where it seems like they're kind of like the polar opposite of Northwestern. The way in which they're the similar is we've talked about this certainly with other sports, but certainly with lacrosse too. And we talked about it last week with Noah is the laundry piece of the lacrosse world. It is an Atlantic Coast-centered sport and always has been. And that Northwestern, despite the fact that we've stacked national titles, still feels sometimes like we are trying to poke through that Syracuse, Maryland, UNC, etc. bubble in the sport. And if we feel that... Which, which, which is... Which, which is wild, you know, we have seven national championships. Exactly, exactly. And then, but then it gives you that appreciation, right, to be like, well, if that's how we feel, imagine how Denver feels. Because right now, Denver's undefeated. They're 22-0 and on the season. And you can look and be like, well, I guess like the, the lower percent of their, the lower piece of their schedule. But if you run through it, I mean, this team has beaten Maryland. This team has beaten Boston College. This team has beaten North Carolina. Um, they're really good. And it's not just that they've won these big games. It's the way they've won it. They've won them. We talked about the rock fight nature of the third game against Michigan. That's just where Denver lives. You look at a lot of these Denver games, particularly their ones against top competitions. And as a Northwestern fan, there's kind of part of me that's like, these are lacrosse scores. I'm like, eight, six, five, four, ten, seven. Um, five, four against Louisville, seven, five against Michigan, eight, seven against Maryland. Like these are not the kind of score lines you're used to seeing from Northwestern. We're used to seeing way more goals and a lot of times way more goals scored and way more goals given up, but it's obvious Maryland is really comfortable living in the low scoring games decided by the tight margins. De- Den- Denver. Denver, sorry. Denver, not yeah, Maryland. Denver, I'm sorry. Denver's really comfortable living with close games, tight margins, low scores. And I think you can look at North Carolina, and it is very clear they got the exact game they wanted against North Carolina. And that makes you, know, makes you a little nervous. Because it's like, obviously, again, Northwestern, 38 shots against Loyola. But Denver is, you know, they have a particular type of game that they want to play. And they're going to try to to throttle things down and lower the score. Yeah, I mean, you're just looking through Denver's uh, schedule this year. A lot of low-scoring games. I mean, they 
have one their high their high watermark for the year is a twenty three to six win over Xavier. Um, you know they scored nineteen against Butler, uh, seventeen against Villanova. I mean these these are not necessarily teams that you're saying, oh, this is the murderer's row. But as as you said, you know they did beat Boston College, they did beat Maryland, um, you know they beat Michigan. They, they yeah, have they have quality wins. No, absolutely they do. I think what's interesting is conspicuously absent from their schedule this year are Northwestern and Syracuse, undeniably the two best offenses in uh, college lacrosse. At the same time, those wins over BC, Maryland, and Michigan are extraordinarily impressive. Uh, I'll note last year they lost. So last year they were 18-3. and three. Uh, They lost to BC twice, once in the regular season and then once in the uh, NCAA tournament. Their other loss was against Colorado, um, a close one, ten to twelve, in uh, in late April. Um, but they notched wins over Stanford, Vandy, Michigan, uh, UConn twice. Just you know, those are the ranked teams on their schedule last season. So I like this doesn't feel dramatically different. Their coach, um, their coach is named Liza Kelly. Uh, she played at, at Delaware uh, back in the nineties. I actually I haven't I haven't looked this up, but I. I think maybe she played with the net, played with Kelly Monty Hiller on the national team um, from '97 to, to 01. That feels like the right era for Kelly Monty Hiller. I could be wrong about that, but um, interestingly, you know, not not a team that has seen Northwestern, not a team that Northwestern has seen. This is this is going to be a very very interesting challenge, and 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 certainly a great opportunity for Denver. I mean, they are they are. Pl- clearly playing the role that North, Northwestern played exactly. in, uh, in those, in the aughts, right. Um, that's going to buoy them. They're, they're certainly going to be, uh, motivated by that in many, many ways. Um, I think the question is going to be a, how does Northwestern meet this moment? Um, are, are they able to exert their will or are they going to be, you know, kind of stymied like Michigan, they're gonna have to grind it out and find it. Um, and then at, by the same token, can, can Denver and their coaching staff meet the moment to, to, you know, match wits with this coaching staff and, and step on the field with what is an extraordinarily talented and gritty and determined Northwestern team. I think that's one of the, one of the things that really stands out about the way we've seen Northwestern progress, um, this season is their, their determination and, and their, their will, uh, to win these games has been very, very strong. So. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a fascinating game, a f- absolutely I, I, fascinating game. I, I want to make one one other well two other points. One uh, in regards to Denver, they have not given up a ten goal. They have not given up ten goals in a game this season. Yeah, I was looking at the same thing. Fourteen of their twenty two, they held the opponent to six or less goals. Like they're just great on yeah. D. Um, and and again, like this is a team that has played three tournament games and won those three tournament games by six combined goals. They've been living on the razor's edge. But again, like they they are, and it is, it's that weird situation that in the eyes of Denver, Northwestern is absolutely Goliath and absolutely a blue blood, which is really weird for us to be thinking. But like Denver is the team coming in feeling disrespected here. They're the team thinking like, what do we have to do? We've beaten all comers this year. Um, we play our way. So, I mean, it's it's weird. It's the, the shoe is on the other foot. And, you know, with all that said, like like Scott said, 
Northwestern, I mean, uh, Denver has not played the two juggernaut offenses in in lacrosse this year. But we're going to see. I mean, it is. It's a fascinating thing. And, you know, it makes you a little nervous. But I guess, you know, we should all come back to the way that Northwestern has played pretty much from the second half of the season on and the way they played last week. And that if they bring that, I don't see how that's not enough. It, it it's it's funny because we we spe- I specifically asked Noah about this right of like does it hurt Northwestern at all that the you know five of the last eight teams or its last seven teams have, have all played the Cats and and his point was like well yeah it's kind of it, it's kind of good for both both sides right in a way in that you know it's hard to simulate what Northwestern does in practice if you've seen them live that's you know a, a, a boon to you but by the same token uh, Northwestern benefits from having seen some of these teams and this you know. We all thought it was going to be North Carolina and then either Syracuse or BC. Uh, so, you know, two opponents in a row that Northwestern played during the regular season. And it's not going to be. It's it's this, like, complete unknown against Denver. And should Northwestern prevail, they get to play a, a BC or Syracuse who has not seen the fully armed and operational Northwestern battle station with Kaylee Radigan because she was not on the field those first uh, four games of the season. So just um, should be a really fun final four. I, I want to make one more point before we move on um, to the best what I can see. Uh, so Izzy Skane currently sitting on 89 goals uh, this season. In striking distance for the all-time single season goal record, which uh, from what I can tell is 98. Oh, that's... It that seems wow. very gettable, <laughs> extremely gettable. Yeah, but again, it's like it it it's just how close. I mean, it depends on the tenor of this game, right? I mean, if Northwestern gets mm-hmm. off to a running start, the same way they did against Loyola. I mean, again, it's like Loyola. You can look and Loyola played a low-scoring rock fight game against Syracuse that they what barely lost, right? And then Northwestern just blew the doors off them. So if Northwestern plays the kind of game that they want to play, she's going to be looking really good for that record potentially uh, in a national title game. Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock Central Time. Uh, catch it on ESPNU. Uh, so we'll we'll be able to watch that and then you know see see what happens, see if we can ride it into the championship game on Sunday. Man, there's a lot happening on Sunday, isn't there? Yeah, there sure is. Um, going to the softball. Uh, mentioned earlier on, uh, Northwestern won the Evanston Regional uh, with wins over Eastern Illinois, uh, Kentucky, and Miami, Ohio. Uh, you know, in very dram- in like dramatic fashion in all those games. I mean, for for a bunch of different reasons. Oh man! I mean, what a what a weekend! Uh, it was it was funny too because there were kind of two parallel things going on at the same time, right? There was the, the Evanston Regional, and then a little side eye at the Tuscaloosa Regional, which you know looked like something that could just be safely ignored right up until Sunday when it suddenly couldn't be um, when Alabama decided to absolutely live on the razor's edge. Um, and and basically ended up advancing out of their own regional by the skin of their teeth. But yeah, the Northwestern one, I mean, it, it was wild. And I think at, at once you saw a team, a Northwestern team that is really comfortable, um, 
in the tight moments, in the high pressure moments, obviously, you know, the the end of the Miami of Ohio game being the just the apex example of that. And at the same time, also the raw talent and explosiveness that this team's capable of. The third inning against Kentucky. The third inning, that third inning against Kentucky, not only did that third inning put that game to bed, it effectively KO'd Kentucky for the rest of the regional. Kentucky went through three pitchers in that inning, and they were never the same after that. Um, And basically were totally out of gas and then got run ruled by a Miami team they'd run ruled um, in, in to open the regional. So, I mean, it was... That third inning, boy, I mean, what? Maeve hits a home run. Kansas hits two in the inning. Um, it feels like everyone got a hit, and it was it was just, um, I mean, an incredible offensive explosion. Um, but yeah, it it it, it really was. I mean, we we were la- we were chatting with each other on uh, dur- during the during the course of the game about um, well during the course of the Miami game trying to figure out like the, the Miami Kentucky game I'm sorry trying to figure out like God what is what is going on with Miami and I observed that um, their pitcher Sullivan had you know pitched the last three and two-thirds innings against Northwestern and then had started the game against Miami several hours later and like gosh that's that's got to be kind of hard and yeah. then and then happened to look over at the Miami box scores and realized that Brianna Pratt had pitched like 14 straight innings <laughs> with like not even missing a beat or letting up a single run. So I was like, yeah. ah, I don't know, like, like, who knows? Who knows if it yeah. matters or not? But um, but no, I think you're right, John, like that inning broke Kentucky. And I'll be honest, like what what stands out so much to me about. And it's, it stood out all season. It goes back to the very first conversation we had to kick off the season with Sidney Supley. Um, you've seen this team not just meet the moment in, in super high pressure situations, but do it with fielding, do it with base running, do it with clutch hitting and do it with pitching every facet of the game. And I've, I'm, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse that I've been talking about for weeks now on the podcast, but, um, it is so compelling to see a team that can win, um, in so many different ways. And it was the bats, right. That, that came to bear against Kentucky. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the comeback against Miami to not only tie it, but then, um, take the lead. And then all of a sudden, you know, Williams facing what one out with the bases loaded to, to, to end that game. Um, I mean, you've just seen so many different players come up in critical moments in, in different facets of the game. And that's, that is the strength and the heart of this team. And it's, um, it's awesome. It's going to be really exciting to see how they play against Alabama in the Super Regional. It for, yeah, and that, that Alabama team is is interesting because their their star pitcher got hurt. I mean, we were talking with Noah, and you know their their star pitcher was hurt, but they had someone else come in uh, who had hadn't played much uh, most of the season. You know, she played early in the season, but um, hadn't played. But she stepped in and you know really kind of shut the door and you know got Alabama through that second game, like we said, by the skin by, of I mean, their teeth. By the skin of their teeth. Middle Tennessee State beat them to start the day on Sunday. And then Middle Tennessee State lost one nothing and had a runner on first with another you know, with two outs and someone up to bat. And again, right, like you said, like 
Alabama's pitcher pitched a heck of a game. But that was one swing of the bat from putting one over the fence, and then Northwestern would have been hosting a Super Regional. So, I mean, the margin was that close. But like Scuzz said, I mean, I despite all the you know the amazing moments, the amazing hitting, I mean, Williams is the starting place. You get two different pieces of it. Um, one, you get a classic Danielle Williams wire-to-wire against Eastern Illinois, where it was like Northwestern didn't have the greatest offensive outing, and it never felt like it mattered at any point. Danielle was just in absolute control, um, just an utterly dominant performance. And then the game against... Miami, I think, kind of illustrated two things. One, just Danielle Williams is one of the most unflappable clutch. I mean, it was bases loaded, no outs. And and yeah, Williams seriously. was so clutch. And the fielding was so clutch. I mean, that Cuckran to Rudd play yep. that was almost two outs and almost ended the game. But ended up being not out at first, but out at home. Which which is which is better actually in that oh, case. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, had had Cuckerin touched first base, then the force is off and Rudd doesn't make the tag. So all of a sudden, that's a tie game. Right. But I mean, it was just such clutch fielding and just like, a, a you know, for me, a terrifying moment. <laughs> I was, I was, I had been listening to the WNUR broadcast. I was outside getting a bunch of stuff done and I had to go sit in a chair and I was like paralyzed by the, I was like, this is (laughs) absolutely, and then just to to hear them work their way out of it. So, I mean, there's that. It's just like, we obviously know just the the steel, the steely eyed nerve of this team is always just incredible. But then there's the other piece that we talked about too. It's the piece that led up into this whole season. We talked about with Noah, um, that led into the tournament, the regional, and you saw it here, which is because of the overall depth in Northwestern's pitching staff, Danielle Williams had a lot less miles on her arm coming into the postseason. And so you can see that obviously in a clear way with a game like Eastern Illinois. But then you also see too, like the value of having an extra, a quality extra arm. Now, Lauren Boyd had a rough outing against Kentucky. But she had a very good outing against Miami. Gave up two runs. Williams gave up two runs. And they both worked three-plus innings. And it was a situation where you knew at the end of that game, you had a fresh Danielle Williams. And that if things had gone the way we didn't want them to go in game three, you know that Danielle was going to be able to go in game four. And those those kind of things are just so valuable, especially heading into, you know, a Tuscaloosa Super Regional where you know Danielle's going to be pitching a lot of innings. Um, oh, yeah. Probably not the ridiculous outing we saw in Tempe last year where it was like, I mean, I just, that was superhuman. But you're going to see uh, a lot of miles. And and yeah, I mean, it's just, were these games blowouts? No. But is this team everything, you know, so clutch and and capable of doing everything necessary to win? Yes, they are. Um, it, will, it will be so interesting this next weekend to see how Alabama's pitching staff shows up. So you guys alluded to it already. Montana Fouts is their ace with 16 bullets. I mean, 200, 213 innings pitched this year. That's over half of the total innings that Alabama has pitched entirely. Um, 23 complete games. Um, 
she's 23 and nine overall, like great ERA, great whip, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like she is their ace. Um, injured in the SEC tournament, um, did not play this past weekend at all. Who, who knows if she's healthy coming into the next weekend? If she's not, if she does not play, um, it's still going to be inter- interesting. So Alex Saltar is the one who who did the most heavy lifting for Alabama this past weekend. But they also have a younger player named uh, Jala Torrance. Now, she only um, she only pitched like 81 innings this year. She's a junior, uh, so she's experienced, but um, she has she has much better stats than uh, Saltar. So it'll be just very interesting how they leverage their their pitching staff. They've got a fourth uh, pitcher, Lauren Esmond, that came came in to win. I think I think pitched the I think I think Torrance pitched the last game against Middle Tennessee. Um, Saltar pitched the first and some of the second, and uh, Esmond came in, in in off and on. But so like, but it, like an ERA of 2.7, 3.0 is dramatically different from Montana Fouts at, at 1.4. Um, it just totally changes the, the, the calculus, uh, for, for the cats. So we'll, that, that's going to be the number one fascinating thing to watch going into, uh, what game one is on Friday, correct? Uh, yes. Game one Friday is night. Friday at, uh, seven o'clock central, um, Saturday, eight o'clock central, uh, for game two. And then Sunday, uh, TBA, if necessary, um, we don't have a, a time for that one yet, but, uh, Hey, this year, uh, we theoretically won't be staying up into the, the wee wee hours of the morning. Cause <laughs> was, you know, these, these games are in the central time zone, I, folks. You know, we're not, we're not looking at West coast. Uh, I was thinking here. the same thing. It takes a lot from, it says something about last year that I'm looking at that 8 PM start time on Saturday and being like, eh, that doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> Just it won't be, it won't be like 1 AM. Well, again, like Scuzz said, furiously knocking wood, who knows how this is going to go. But yeah, Alabama, I mean, it's a team. This is a team that hung 12. They played middle Tennessee uh, three times in the Tuscaloosa regional. They hung 12 on them. The first time they played and they scored two combined runs in the next two games. So it's an offense that can run really hot and run really cold. And you hope that with, with Danielle out there, you know, I mean, that'll be the question. The question is, is the plan to just ride Danielle or is Lauren Boyd going to get the start? I mean, she got the start twice in the Evanston Regional. Um, and we're going to see. So, yeah, it's all fascinating. And, and f- circling back to what we talked about before, Friday and Sunday are absolutely wire to wire ridiculousness this weekend. Uh, you've got two potential, you know, with a national title on the line and a trip to the College World Series on the line. You've got, you know, you're going to have two games in two days on both Friday and on Sunday. Potentially, potentially, potentially wood. like it- certainly on Friday. Yeah. Absolutely on Friday, and you know we'll see what happens on Saturday. But you know, it could just be one game Saturday, one game Sunday, boom, boom, and uh, and we're off. But uh, yeah, very... sprinkle in, sprinkle a little, uh, a little Monaco and uh, Indianapolis five hundred on top mm-hmm. of it, and Memorial and Day then, too. Um, may, may, maybe NHL and NBA games. I'm not sure where things are going to play out there. It depends if uh, teams get swept here in the next two days. But um, it's a uh, 
It's a lot. It's a lot, y'all. Yep. Uh, in, a, in a very good way. Yeah, for sure. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. Looking ahead a little bit, and you know, this is you know, as as we're starting to come to the end of spring sports, uh, we start looking ahead a little bit. Not not much, but we start to begin to think about looking ahead uh towards football season. Um we have some news. Uh, recruiting news coming in uh, for the 2024 class. Um, so again, this is a little bit down the road, but you know we have a number of guys who've committed since last uh, last we spoke. And you know the the big kind of takeaway I think from from a lot of these recruits are that they all saw Peter Skaronsky get picked uh, with the number 11 pick overall, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, picked up the phone, called Kurt Anderson, and said, "Oh, I, I want a piece of that." Yeah, it you know having two super high NFL draft picks, one of whom is currently one of the best starting tackles in the NFL. Uh, yeah, that'll help. That'll help the old, help the recruiting rankings. I, I, a, I will say, Kurt has uh, pretty much owned offensive line recruiting in the state of Michigan since the day he got to Northwestern. So, like, there's some of that too. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, you have this, I mean, it's the the place to start, right? It's in a week and change, four offensive linemen have committed to Northwestern. Uh, Gabe Van Sickle, Peyton Stewart, Idris Cotton, and Julius Tate. And it's all over the, it's all over the, the line too. You got two guys who are clear, I would say pretty clear tackle types in Stewart and Van Sickle, and then two guard types in Cotton and Tate. And it's really the sense of of really filling out um, a big time offensive line. I mean, it's it's really cool. Um, I look. I mean, looking at a couple of the different guys, Cotton jumps out to me just because a he's just a road grader kind of guard out of Michigan with a ton of offers. Not a ton of high P five offers, but a ton of overall offers. I think he's got something like twenty plus FBS offers, including Stanford. And as we've talked about many times, anytime you've got a guy who's got the Stanford offer and he takes Northwestern instead, that's always a positive indicator um, for the program. So that was a, a big a big win for sure. Interesting takeaway. He had an offer from Dion. Yeah, that's interesting too. It's like the classic. Now all of a sudden, right? The Colorado offers become very interesting because it's what's the pull? Um, it's just it's hard to think of two, not opposite, but the presentation you're going to get at Northwestern, the presentation Deion Sanders is going to give you at Colorado. I feel, I feel like they're probably (laughs) not aligned. Um, right. So, I mean, but, but still to your point, it's like, it's just like Stanford. It speaks to 
someone from, you know, a kid from the Midwest looking and being like, no, 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 the best package that I see for me is right here. And it's Northwestern and it's Kurt Anderson. I think a similar one, um, Peyton Stewart, who's a potentially capable of being an absolutely monstrous tackle. He's listed at 6'7", 275 right now. Um, so he's capable of, of being, you know, an absolutely huge guy. But that's a guy from Washington State who had a lot of West Coast and Northwest offers. Arizona State, Boise State, Oregon State. Oregon State's really good right now. So like that's a very notable one. Washington State and a bunch of other ones. And someone leapfrogging over a bunch of other high major and power five offers to come to to play in the Big Ten at Northwestern. Again, it speaks to the quality of the work and the development that Kurt Anderson has done. On the defensive side, it's really interesting. So it's two defensive linemen. Um, and there's one who I would say is the real headliner. And then there's another one who's really interesting. Dylan Johnson is... My one regret about Dylan Johnson is that he has to play a senior year of high school football. <laughs> That's, yeah. He is a big... Yeah, this is a big-time recruit at the position of dire need. 6'2", 285 defensive tackle. So if you're going to say, throw around words like bowling ball, this guy is a bowling ball in in build and in power because he is just an absolute earth mover. And this is a guy with a bunch of offers. Um, this is a guy who visited Wisconsin a ton of times. Um, four times. Yeah, four times. And then wow. picked Northwestern. You've got Missouri, Kansas State, Cal, um, this is a very high- two two visits to Iowa State. Yep, very highly regarded football player. Um, and two other things in of of major note with him. Number one, he's from one of the traditional powers of Chicago Catholic League football, Joliet Catholic. So when you're pulling a top guy out of a top Catholic League program like that, it shows you that the pull Northwestern continues to have within those circles, and also. He's a three-time state champion heavyweight wrestler who's going to wrestle for Northwestern's powerhouse program, which is fascinating to do, me. Do too. we do we know for sure he's wrestling? I don't I, know. Last I saw it, it was it was up in the it air. It was up in the air in his so his commitment photo um shows him wearing both uniforms. So I think obviously he's you know when he gets pride from Fitz's cold, dead hands, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I think Fitz, Fitz is not letting go of that defensive tackle, right? Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, you know, double duty is one of those things where it's like, man, too heavily, too high contact sports. It seems to be like it would be a tall order to double in those. I don't know. Um, but anyway, a, you know, a, a big time recruit, like we said, and it's the kind of thing, and this goes back to what Sam was saying, the idea of looking ahead. It's possible that there may be some short-term dire straits on the defensive line. But you can look and be like, if you look at the guys that are going to be true freshmen this year, and you add in Dylan Johnson, Northwestern has three high, like highly recruited true defensive tackles who are yet to step on the field at Northwestern. So it's like the rebuild is happening. It may not happen on the timetable we all want it to, but it is happening and it's happening in a high quality way. I totally agree with that. I think, you know, the interesting 
the interesting um, retrospective to try to understand more is that, you know, what, what, what created the gap, you know, that we saw these last um, several years. And I think there's a lot of uh, things we could point to there injuries being a, being a major one, but um, it does, you know, regardless, I can't help but feel that the 2023 Northwestern defense is despite the change of coordinator is not going to look like, dramatically different and i don't i don't say that to like get people to check out or get angry or anything i just think that's the reality um but the seeds are being planted for something different in in the years beyond that and that's um that's pretty exciting yeah it is and and again right it's the exact same thing it's it's being able to take the long view and the other cool thing too is it's like one of these guys it was it was one of the offensive linemen too He's his commitment photo is a picture of him in front of the mock-up of what the renovated Ryan Field will look like. And it's like, that's good. You want, you know, it's like we as fans need to be thinking, all right, like it's about getting back to a place, right? Yep. And it's like, we want it to happen as soon as possible. But the, the point is to get back. And it's good to see that some of these recruits are taking the long view and look like, I'm going to be part of the rebuild. I'm going to be here when Ryan Field opens up. I'm here for, you know, getting this team turned back towards the sun. And that's great. Um, there's, the one, other, there's, there's one other tidbit yeah. I'm curious to just, I can't help myself, guys. I just want to pull a little bit on this thread. So I'm, I'm curious right. how many right. of Johnson's visits to Wisconsin happened prior to Jim Leonard leaving that organization. Mm, Jim Leonard, who I might add, Ooh. still does not have um, a job for the 2023 football season, which is preposterous. Well, uh, let, let we can take a look at that. I mean, they got, let's see, they've got dates here. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, June 2nd, um, April 6th, March 25th uh, of this year. And then uh, December, or excuse me, October twenty second. Yeah, maybe not. All right, so, so that's, those that, are all three officials since. That's just one. Yeah, that's yeah. one when when Leonard would have still been there because it was announced he was leaving in you know yes January yeah. February timeline. So interesting, interesting. That feels like a nice win though. Um, oh, for sure. Um, pulling and, him in. Yeah, and it's like, and then juxtaposing that on the defensive line with Northwestern's other recent defensive line signee, who has the classic look of the classic project slash diamond in the rough Northwestern guy. Um, Callan Campbell is so interesting. Um, I don't want to say the moon is where he's coming out of, but I mean, like, if you look at a map in the contiguous United States, it's hard to get farther north. He's from Salt St. Marie, Michigan, which is in the UP. And not only is it in the UP, it's up in the UP. It's on the Canada border. Um, and he, this is someone like he's coming out of a region that almost no one comes out of. Um, not, not that plays FBS football. And we are, you know, it's us and Air Force are his only FBS options. And he's got Army, Columbia, and Youngstown. So that's a lot of academic options. But this is a guy who, again... He's 6'4", 245, and it's hard to know, like, what a guy like that can be. He's playing, you know, he's in a place where he's not playing a level of football that's remotely comparable to what most of the rest of the nation is playing. It's like a project, and that means, you know, who knows? Like, this is something, like, the sky's the limit, because honestly, like, no one really knows. 
And it's going to be really interesting. It's a fascinating region to be pulling someone in from um, and a, a fascinating development. I mean, this is a guy who you have no idea. He could grow another inch. He could gain another, you know, 40 pounds. And like, it's it's just super interesting. So the, it's like recruits of all kinds, but another solid, it's the same as last year, right? It's the kind of solid overall class that reminds you that this program still is viewed in a really strong light, especially when it comes to trenches and things like that. And that like the rep of Fitz and certainly the rep of Kurt Anderson carry a lot of weight. It matters to recruits. Um, and again, there are no quick fixes, but you look at some of this stuff and you think, all right, like this is going to be part of the effort of pulling Northwestern up and out of where they are. Yeah, so um, you know, recruiting definitely uh, in the, in the thick of things as we get into this uh, the late spring, early part of summer. Um, you know, you hear that we're in the mix for a couple other guys here and there. You know, again, until until signing day, uh, nothing is fully official, right? You know, it's, you know, commitments are made, commitments are broken. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see if like ad, with the advent of transfer portal how Fitz's stance on official visits after commits, if that has changed it's, at all. I, it's it's I, I changed wonder. a little bit in the last couple of I years. Wonder. Like that, like that's that like Northwestern has, yeah. um, I don't think they're shedding that from the rooftops, but um, there are a number of, of commits over the past three or four years that Northwestern has, has quote unquote flipped. I think, I think that, that, that Fitz mantra is a thing of the past. Yeah. Gotta be. Um, anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight, guys? Just gearing up for a heck of a weekend, boy. There's yeah. a lot of big time, particularly Friday. I mean, let's let's see um, Lax get that big win, um, and then uh, softball get off to the right foot against Alabama. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, we'll we'll have our eyes on that, and you know, we'll be all over the socials uh, talking all about it. So be, be sure to hit us up there. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlaw Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the West Lawn of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.